Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Benjamin Gleitzman. I'm a CTO and co-founder here at Replicant. Uh, so we're a contact center automation platform and we help with customer service. So no more waiting two hours on hold to speak to a person. Um, uh, my background is artificial intelligence and machine learning, but you know I've also been kind of an executive sponsor on some of our largest deals. So I've seen everything from like the ideation of something you want to create, a call flow you want to automate with AI all the way through, you know, development and deployment. But I got my start back in West Virginia. I grew up in Morgantown and uh, I was very interested in robotics. So I thought that was going to be the, the, the sort of future of what I went into. And of course, Carnegie Mellon is a still a powerhouse when it comes to, you know, robotics technology. Um, and so, you know, that got me a little bit interested in what will that AI be like in the future? You know, what will robotics look like? This was me thinking, you know, back in 2002, 2003, what will that look like? And um, I got a really fantastic opportunity to go on an exchange program to Japan when I was a kid. It's through the Rotary program. And so they trade kids all over the world. You know, I, I went to Japan, maybe a Japanese student goes to France, someone from France goes to Guatemala and um, lived with a couple host families. I didn't really speak any Japanese, but uh, I could tell already that they were living in the future. It wasn't quite the future that you know we've inhabited today, but even back then, 20 years ago, it just you know people were watching TV on their cell phones in in 2003, and that was really uh, fantastic. So I got a job there after I'd spent about a year living with with host families at a company called Advanced Telecommunications Research. It's a little bit like the IBM of Japan, and it's in this bamboo forest. It's really beautiful. There's deer running all around, and it's it's great. But um, the president of that company had created an android humanoid version of himself and when he would leave and go on trips he would he would leave this like robot copy of himself in his office and it would move and it would look around and it was pretty indistinguishable from a person you know at least if you were walking by the door you couldn't quite tell you know that it was him but as soon as it opened its mouth you could tell that it was fake because the, the, the voice synthesis was just not there, you know, 20 years ago. And so at that time, I thought, hmm, I wonder how long it'll take until we're really good. The quality of the voice, the accuracy, the latency on uh, on this kind of voice technology. And so that was really my first foray into thinking about what this AI might look like in the future. Awesome. And that was a long time ago. So in, in terms of technology, at least. Yeah, we've seen a bunch of revisions. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's it's kind of come a long way. I think, you know, when I had started this company with my co-founders, we'd never had a very good conversation with a machine. And this was back in 2016, 2017. We said, why is this? Everybody's got Siri in their pocket. They've got Google Voice in their home. It's just not working. You know, I think there's some missing piece as to why we're not having these great conversations with machines. And that's really what we set out to do is to, is to craft great conversations and get this partnership between the technology that's necessary in order to make this work, but also the human aspect. How do you get linguists and conversational experts and really a whole host of people around the table because they're necessary to craft these great conversations? Benjamin, I want to get into a little bit of the technology, but before we do that, What's it look like from the consumer side when somebody wants to use your technology? Walk me through that experience. How do I, how do I, how do I work it? Yeah, it's, uh, I think we've all had the bad experience. You know, we've all had that, you know, I've got something wrong. I want to change my flight. I call in, I got to wait, you know, 30, 45. I think when, you know, some of these flight outages were happening due to COVID, you're getting, you know, three hour hold time, four hour hold time to be able to speak with a person. So we've all got those stories of the bad experience. But um, in our earliest days, we did a lot with food ordering. This was kind of like an early breakthrough for us. Uh, we worked closely with DoorDash. We worked, uh, worked closely with Postmates. When you order from those restaurants, they don't always have 
an iPad that's there in the restaurant. They've got these partner merchants. They're kind of calling in orders on your behalf. And so you order your double cheeseburger, but there's a small army of people in contact centers that are phoning in those, uh, you know, those, those food orders. And you can imagine, you know, it's long days. It's very repetitive. Uh, it's pretty easy to make mistakes because you're just calling in, you know, food orders all day. And so our kind of earliest application of the thinking machine, that's what we call the uh, technology, the automation that we create was, can we call the Italian restaurant down the block and order with someone who's perhaps got a strong accent? Uh, they're in a rush, and so you can't kind of cover up the latency with any of those click-clack typing noise or doing anything like that. And uh, and it's got to be accurate. You know, you've got to be calling in these orders correctly. And so um, that's, I think, one of the earliest ways that people might have experienced that was like getting these calls from machines. And as we talked to the people who are on the other side who are taking these calls in the uh, restaurants, they said, we love it. it. It always runs the call in the same way. There's no chit chat. I can just get right to the point. I can get in, I can get out and kind of get exactly what I need. So that's uh, an example of like maybe an outbound phone calling experience that uh, it's not spammy. You know, I think that's the other key here is that we didn't set out to robocall people. We didn't set out to, you know, create more of these unwanted calls in the world. We're, we're looking to find places where there is an inefficiency and create some resolution there. So maybe for you and me, if your car breaks down and you call uh, many of the AAA auto clubs, if you're in Canada and you call the CAA auto clubs, uh, you'll be getting replicant. And so what that means is the call is answered immediately. There's no hold time. Um, our calls are usually shorter. Uh, it's about 35, maybe 40% shorter than having to speak with a person. And uh, you can do a lot of fantastic things with the technology. Uh, you might be, uh, let's say I'm driving from here, I live in Oregon today, let's say I'm driving to Washington. I might break down on the highway, it's the middle of the night, I don't even know if I'm in Oregon or in Washington. And so being able to not only get that answer immediately, know that I'm gonna be safe, but use some other functionality of the telephone. Hey, can I send you a link? Open that up, get the GPS coordinates from the phone. Um, hey, can you snap a picture of the tire? We can see if there's gonna be tire damage. Um, so that's how maybe, you know, consumers would interact with it. But we also take it a step further. And so once we've realized, hey, it's Benjamin, he's on the side of the road, he's going to need a tow truck. We then use the thinking machine to simultaneously call outbound all the different tire shops. Hey, I got Benjamin. Can you go pick him up? Oh, no, we're closed right now. Hey, can you go Benjamin pick him up? Yeah, we, we got some time. We should be there in about 20 minutes. And so you get kind of this almost a Rube Goldberg machine of connecting the inbound phone call to a series of outbound phone calls to then perhaps another phone call back to the person who's on the side of the road to let them know that the tow truck is on their way or even let them know if there's going to be a delay in sending someone out to them. Very cool. Awesome. It sounds like you're in Canada. Canada, it's uh, pretty big there right now. Yeah, the, um, you know, we're in North America, Canada. Um, we also just launched in uh, the EU. And so, you know, we're working with uh, some customers who are in the UK, just got our GDPR certification. So that's a really kind of great awesome. testament for the technology and being able to unlock um, a, a bunch of different areas where languages really matter. Um, I think Replicant works in something like 35 uh, different languages, uh, and, and that's kind of a, it's a native usage in that language. So it's not as if we're listening in French and then translating that to English and inferring on it in English and then translating it back into French. It's uh, the, the machine learning models, the transformers work in that native language. So basically your customer, you're selling to businesses, small businesses, large, large businesses, any kind of business that would need this to help with their call center because they don't have humans to answer the phone. And if they do, like you said, it might be three hours before someone can answer a customer's call that needs help. 
Is that sort of true right there? Yeah, it's for, it's for the enterprise. And so, you know, we're okay. looking for people who've got these larger contact centers. But um, I, I worked a contact center when I was in college. That was how I helped pay for it. And um, I loved when I got those interesting calls, you know, when I got a weird question, when I got something that requires research that I really had to dig in and and like use my empathy or use my creativity as a human to to answer that call. You know, the 17th password reset of the day was just not what I was looking for when it came for, uh, you know, having a, a kind of, you know, a, a job that I really cared about doing. And so what we've heard from agents who are in the contact center is, hey, Replicant takes all the minutia. They do all the, you know, I've authenticated, I've, I've identified the person who's calling, I've authenticated them so I know that they are who they say they are. I've ideally tried to resolve their, you know, problem end to end, but maybe they've got one extra question. You know, I, uh, I changed my flight, I picked my seat, I checked my bags, but then uh, I got a you know question about uh, COVID policies. And so maybe you don't want the machine answering that because they might change from time to time. So we're gonna escalate that to the agent, but they're gonna get that warm transfer. It's like, hey, Benjamin's on the line. He's already done these things. He's just got a quick question here about COVID. And so you can kind of be in and out on that call in 30 seconds where previously it was a 45 minute hold time. And then the thing that I hate, re-authenticating people, you know, I get passed from person to person to person and they have to keep asking me who I am. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, uh, so annoying, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a real annoying customer experience. And so that kind of, um, uh, it's really like an elevation of the human in the contact center. I mean, we do it with a lot of technology and we do it with a lot of machines, but it's really um, taking what humans are good at, empathy, creativity, uh, building relationships with a caller and uh, allowing that agent to not just have to churn through as many tickets as they can in an hour and trying to get, get you off the phone. So it's it's like part of it is probably the call center. People working at call centers might be scared because their jobs might be taken. But at the same token, it might elevate their position so it's more meaningful for them to answer the phones because they don't have to deal with all these minutia calls about password resets, things like that. They can try to solve something that's a little bit more complex and fulfilling on their end. Um, yes, so yes. Clear. And I think it's a great question to ask, like where and how is this going to take jobs? Or as I see it, it's really taking tasks away from people. You know, there's um, there's a lot of attrition that goes on in contact centers. Uh, I've worked with some of our partners who have, you know, seven months of retention is about all you get from a person in a contact center. It's a difficult job. You're churning through these tickets. People are angry. They're yelling at you. Um, you have to get up to speed on, you know, changing FAQs and different regulations and things. It's it, it it's a difficult job. I don't think that should be underestimated. And so anything we can do to diffuse the situation, ideally completely resolve the call without having to get to a person. But when you do speak to a person, it's a, a bit of an elevated uh you know, experience for the agent and hopefully a good experience for the caller as well. And something surprising that I heard is uh, we just had our customer conference in Nashville last week and um, the, this was actually very heartening. So um, when Replicant was deployed in a particular customer's contact center, the disability days that their agents were taking dropped by 70%. So fewer people are sick wow. on the job when they had Replicant to sort of be that front line of the tier one customer service calls. And I don't think we can take credit for all of that improvement, but it really just goes to show you that when you shift from uh, how many tickets can I answer in an hour to, hey, how do I build a relationship with this person on the phone and, and kind of 
uh, understand and, and solve their problem. It's a, it, it's a real elevation of the role. That's crazy. It's like that brings up the question, is the job causing their sickness because it's so much stress or they just hate the job and they're not showing up and calling in sick, you know? So um, but that's really, that's, that's eye opening there. What about like, so when, when replicant call, like uh, how does it work? Like if someone, if they're, you're, someone's using replicant um, for their call center, does the, when the phone call starts, is there some kind of like cue to the uh, the person on the other end that their AI artificially cr uh, created voice or how does that work? And then does the call just start? Like, do the people, the, who's ever answering the phone know that it's AI that's talking to them, I guess is my, the heart of the question. Yeah. Ethics has been a big concern of mine since the beginning. I, I did not want to create a technology that was going to be doing this the, the way I saw a lot of uh, companies were doing it when we began, which is, I think, the wrong way, being disingenuous to callers. I think one of the early demos I saw of uh, Dialogflow and uh, Google calling was um, not identifying itself as a machine. It was using dialogue covers. It would put the ums and the ahs and the disfluencies and that click clack typing noise in the background. They were doing everything that they could to keep the caller from understanding that, hey, this is a machine. And I think it's a lie. I think it's a, it's, it's a little disingenuous. I think there should be ample disclosure that you're speaking with a machine. And so every time we uh, get on the phone, it's, uh, hi, Thanks for calling AAA. I'm a thinking machine on a recorded line, and so you know we're always disclosing ourselves as the as the thinking machine, and that's uh, uh, it. It can be confusing, I think, for people. They're like, "Wait, what? What's what's a thinking machine?" And so we might have a little bit of that conversation, or they might immediately push back and say, "Hey, there's no way a robot's going to answer my question. Like, get me to a person right away." And so we've developed a number of conversation design principles. One of those is, "What's in it for me?" So when someone says, "Hey, I got to speak with an agent," it's like. You know, Ryan, I'm, I'm happy to get you over to an agent, but it's going to be about a 25 minute hold time. In the meantime, can I get your policy number? And so you're sort of pulling them back into that conversation. You're you're training them that, hey, I know you've had some really negative experiences with machines in the past, but this is really a it, it, it's a new generation of this technology. And so give us a chance. Awesome. Yeah, we, we uh, interviewed sales GPT and they're, they're doing something very similar, but they're doing it for sales calls. Um, yes. Like they they have automated calls that call out to people and they do the same thing right when they start their call. They say, OK, we're an automated call. I don't know what their exact wording, wording is, but thinking machine or um, artificial intelligence call. They let people know right away. Um, but, yeah, I think it seems like the more and one thing they brought up when we interviewed them is that we're at the beginning of this. So it's going to take some time for people to get used to these calls and they're going to start to happen all the time. But once people do get used to them. It's like any anything with technology. I think, for my end at least, it's going to make life easier. Like I've, I'd rather almost. I think it's going to come to a point where you're going to get a call from an AI uh, phone call, and you're going to be like, "Thank God, I don't want to talk to a human because it, the, chances are they're going to handle it better than a human could." And if it does, if they don't ha handle it better than a human could, we can all always escalate it to a human. Um, you know, maybe if they can't handle it or towards the end of the call. So. It's kind of fascinating to see how this is going to all play out. Yes, yes. I, I think this brings up a great point of when and how should we use the technology and how do we know that it's ready? Uh, there's a professor out of MIT, uh, Darren Asimoglu, and he's writing a lot about so-so technologies. And so think back on the ATM. The ATM was heralded as the end of the bank teller. This was going to take all the bank tellers' jobs. There was never going to be any bank tellers anymore. It was seen as like a disaster for the banking industry. But what happened? Bank tellers can do more interesting things. They can deal with loans. They can get to know people more. They're not just there dispensing cash, you know, 
uh, during business hours and consumers won as well because they can get uh, I can get money at any time of the day. And so there's sort of like a win win technology uh, that was able to you know, see a benefit for uh, society and a benefit for the people who are working that job. Uh, contrast that with something that I would say is below the line on a so-so technology, the robots in checkout aisles. Um, it's frustrating. I can never quite get it you know, to happen properly. It requires babysitting by you know, a person. So it didn't, it didn't really remove that job. It just sort of shifted to like an oversight. It was not focused on really resolving that problem of, of the checkout aisle. It was a, uh, a kind of short-term cost-cutting measure. And so, yeah, maybe you should save a job or two, but you're not seeing that benefit for the consumer. You're not seeing that benefit from the customer side. And so whenever we're launching a new thinking machine, a new capability, a new product feature, we're always measuring it against is this technology ready for prime time? Is it something that's going to make the caller's life easier? Or is this going to be a stumbling block or a roadblock in their way? Yeah, so I want to comment on that. The checkout lines at the stores, so frustrating. I don't understand it. If I'm going to have, if this is my mini rant, if I'm <laughs> going to check out by myself, I want to check out by myself. I, I, I just wait for the, the moment. Every single time it happens, I try to scan something. It doesn't work. Now I got to call somebody over. Happens every single time. Very frustrating. Yes. Um, but yeah, I wanted to say uh, also the video on your website was helpful for an example. It's about like a minute and 30 for whoever wants to see it. Just go right to the Replicant website. And you guys have a little demo of like what it sounds like when you're talking to one of these uh, AI entities. And it's it's very cool. Very cool. Very seamless. Yeah. Since the beginning, we've been really focused on, you know, listening, thinking and speaking. Like when we're doing transcription, uh, not only the words that people are saying, but understanding like the vernacular that people are using. In West Virginia, they're not going to speak like people do in California. In Detroit, they're not going to use the turns of phrase that people do in uh, in New Orleans or in you know L.A. And so transcription has always been sort of like a key focus for ours that we want to understand everybody equitably, not just people who sound like me or use the words that I do. Um, on the thinking side, I think that the... Um, we should really be doing the heavy lifting from the caller. And so, you know, I've seen some technologies where it's, uh, imagine you're doing a hotel room booking. Uh, and how many adults will that be? Two adults. I got two adults, is that right? Yes. And how many children will that be? One child. You know, it's, it, it's such a long and kind of clunky conversation. And so being able to level that up, uh, powered in large part by large language models to say, hey, it's gonna be me and my hubby and my nine month old and understanding that that's you know, two adults and one child. It's, yeah. it's this kind of um, contextual reasoning that really elevates the conversation. So that's on the thinking piece. And then on speaking, the quality of the voice really does matter. We will always, always be upfront that you're speaking with a machine, but the better that that machine sounds, the more willing people are to give it a chance. If it sounds like a robot, doesn't matter if it's the smartest robot you've ever spoken to before, people are gonna escalate, people are gonna press zero. It's it's just too easy for them to say, uh, you know what, I've been burned by technologies like this before, I'm not gonna give it a chance. Yeah, like you said, it's like uh, when you release a software, it's sorta of gotta be ready for prime time, otherwise it can bite you in the, you know, bite you and nobody's going to use it again or they're just going to store. Oh, it yeah. Time. Or, you know, I'm, I'm shopping for a, uh, you know, like a shovel. And then it tells me that, uh, you know, I might be in a loveless marriage and I should leave my wife. I mean, some of these early, <laughs> you know, experiences with large language models there. Uh, I think there was a kind of a rush to get it out into the market and also a misunderstanding of the, uh, you know, guardrails or perhaps lack of guardrails that some of these companies put in place. So you mentioned uh, LLMs. 
Could you just tell us a little bit about what you're using? Where are they pulling the data from? Is that how you, how do you help prevent hallucinations? Can you just talk to us a little bit about that backend tech and what that looks like? Yeah, so uh, we've been using transformers since before they were cool, and you know it's it's been a lot of learning from the the AI and the ML team over the years. But uh, you know we used to use a lot of uh, let's say in 2017 it was like BERT, and so you know we were able to do entity extraction, entity linking, and tent recognition. So you know as opposed to previous uh, keyword matching where you got to call in and say billing, and if you say you know my bill is too high, it says I started to understand that. And so um, BERT and that transformer technology really unlocked our ability to do uh, intent-based matching, entity extraction without having to rely on people saying exactly the right thing at exactly the right time. Now, uh, large language models would just push this forward in a way that, um, you know, you can get this kind of single turn capture of a lot of different pieces of information. Uh, it's going to be me and my hubby and my nine month old and we want to check in on Thursday and we want to leave two Tuesdays from now and being able to do that kind of like slot filling of all of those different pieces of information. It's a it's a massive time save for callers on on average when we've put these uh, LLM components into our uh, conversations. It's a it's a 30 percent reduction in time on the line, which is great for the caller. It's also good for our customers because they're not, you know, we charge per the minute. So the shorter the calls are, the kind of uh, the cheaper it's going to be for them. And we saw a 10 percentage point improvement, uh, maybe in things like make model collection. So trying to collect, you know, vehicles uh, for AAA on the side of the road, being able to do, um, you know, collection of, of complex, uh, you know, pieces of, of data that you need to get. Um, and the, the, the CSAT, the customer satisfaction score went up because people could really talk in their, in their own voice. Um, you mentioned hallucination. I think that's a really key aspect here. I, I think the first thing I would do is I would caution people against thinking about large language models as human or reasoning or thinking in the way that, that humans do. Uh, I would add that they are, they're more than human. They are kind of beyond or, or different than a human intelligence. And I think that when you think about it in that way, it kind of, it doesn't prohibit you in the way of thinking where, you know, animals have more than human intelligence. Fungus has more than human intelligence. And until we created the internet, we really didn't understand how do mycelial networks like talk to one another. And so here we have another technology that even though it, uh, presents itself as a friendly agent that you can talk to, like the way that it learns and the way that it thinks, um, or you know perhaps in interprets the data that it's seen, is kind of not not like people. And so, hallucination is kind of the name of the game with these technologies. I don't think you can fine tune or reinforcement learn the hallucination out of the system. You know they. Um, they choose the next token, and uh, it could be the correct thing or it could be the incorrect thing. But once you've once you've chosen that token, or once the machine has chosen that token, it's going to vehemently defend what it's chosen, even if you tell it that it's you know kind of uh, kind of wrong. So, uh, in addition to uh, putting guardrails on the those language models, I think there's a few ways you can do this. You can constrain the technology so it's only allowed to do certain things. This would be like uh, make model collection. Um, We'll use the large language model for, uh, oh, it's my, you know, 1993 Chrysler Sebring. And then they say, oh, actually, it's my, you know, 2024, you know, Tesla Model Y. That's really great for the LLM to be able to collect. And you can speak colloquially and you can, you know, do all of these things. But we don't necessarily allow the language model to do any natural language generation. 
Uh, so you kind of you 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 lock down exactly what the LLM can do, and you defer to um, a dialogue policy, which might be constructed with the customer. You defer to scripts, which can be written with the customer, so that they've got it in their own language, in their own tone, and it prevents some of these embarrassing issues that you can imagine, where um, imagine you're calling into you know an airline and you're complaining about the cost of your bags. And I can imagine the LLM would be like, well, why don't you fly Southwest next time? You get you know, two bags for free. And so it's not always a hallucination. It's not always a, a dangerous piece of information that's being responded, but it could just be a little bit damaging to the brand, even if it is factual. Sure. But it's, and it sounds like that's going to be, a, that's going to happen no matter what. It should be a very, it's going to be over time, a smaller and smaller percentage of the times it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And you might even see like, social media post on something funny that happens on a phone call, but it's just going to happen and it's eventually going to get better. So you just sort of have to deal with it because it's not human thinking, it's machine thinking, and we don't really fully understand how its capabilities right now, what it's going to do. Yeah. And, and my guidance would be in the face of that uncertainty, it's a little bit difficult if you want to go build these things in house. You can certainly do it and you can hook up a raw LLM to your callers, but you're going to have these hallucinations. So, so then the question becomes, well, what are you going to do about that? And so we've come up with, I mean, we've spent so much time thinking about uh, constraining what the LLM can do, coming up with dialogue policies, grounding the LLM in, um, uh, it could be FAQs for a customer. It could be logged in data for a customer. Hey, why did my bill go up this month? And so, you know, you could compare this month's bill to last month's bill. Um, and then we're also building ancillary models that are looking at the output of the large language model and then in parallel saying, hmm, that looks like a malicious query or, hey, that looks like something that's uh, not factual or, hey, that looks like something that is a... Um, uh, is not like uh, befitting for the brand guidelines that, that the customer wants. So it's possible that a cut that someone could go and build all of these pieces, but um, it's a it's a heavy lift, and it's something that um, I don't know if all of the LLM companies are being that uh, kind of honest about. It might work in the ideal case, but the failure modes are 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 quite numerous. Yeah, like it's, so. For example, say if I'm talking to an AI customer agent and I start swearing at them, telling them, telling them, telling them they suck or something like that. How do you guys respond to those situations? Well, it, it really depends on the situation. Uh, we work with a number of trucking companies, you know, in addition to no you know boy, AAA's. Yeah. And so with trucking companies, I would be surprised if we get through a phone call without a little bit of uh, expletive, you know, like it just, it, it, it happens. It's the way that uh, some people choose to speak. And so I don't think you can always be so prescriptive as, oh, as soon as we hear, you know, someone say a certain word, let's go ahead and escalate that call. It's another reason why we really care about the intent behind what's happening on the call or being able to, you know, if we got all of the entities and, you know, they put an F-bomb in front of it, let's just go ahead and continue with the call because really okay. that person, even though they're frustrated and we know they're free, you know, if you've gotten to the point where you're calling customer service, you're probably nine out of 10, you know, you're, you're, you're 90% frustrated already. And so it's okay if you're using the, you know, words like this, as long as we're still pushing the conversation forward. And that's a call that each one of our customers can make. And there's a uh, self-service tools that they can use for like, well, what, what do you want to do if this is detected? What do you want to do if the conversation starts to go in these different directions? Got it. It's almost like uh, de um, de-escalating things is maybe the best practice in, in those situations. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. One, and, one of the you most know, frustrating maybe someone things needs is... to, Maybe someone needs to just blow up a little bit. You know, hey, yeah. I feel like I'm not being, you know, I'm, 
I got, I, I ordered this product. It's not working the way that I want. And I really want to kind of let loose on the company a little bit. But if you can do that to the machine and kind of, you know, guard or shield the agent from having to get the full brunt of their, uh, you know, annoyance, by the time they either completely solve the problem with the machine, or maybe they do get to the agent, they're not quite as like riled up as they initially were on the call. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it saves the company too dealing with the mental health of all their age, like human agents, not having to deal with all that stuff. So that's awesome. I didn't even think about that. One of the main, one thing that's really annoying when you're talking to customer service is, like you said, if you're talking, if you're making a call to customer service at any any company, usually you're at like a nine out of ten in, in terms of yep. frustration. Um, and then you start talking to someone, a human, and they're very nice. You're you're trying to be polite to them. And try to solve your problem but since you're nice to them they feel like they can sort of drag this call out for freaking a half hour whereas you just want to get off the phone and get this problem solved in five minutes so that it sounds like that's something you guys can help solve as well yeah i mean the reason the calls are you know 30 40 percent shorter than speaking with a person is yeah i don't think you expect small talk from a from a robot i don't think that you you know you might ask it how the weather is and we'd respond to that but i, I you know or just in like practice, have fun with it, it yeah in practice, it doesn't really happen. And, uh, you know, you can go to our website. You mentioned that the video is there, but it's also if you go to try.replicant.com, you can speak with the thinking machine. And um, it's really interesting to see the way that people talk to the thinking machine when they've actually got a problem versus the way that they talk to it from uh, trying it out or being at kind of like the top of the funnel if it comes to buying. I think there's a little bit of like, well, let me try to throw the entire kitchen sink at this, you know, machine. And, you know, what what's it going to do when I bring up, you know, uh, whether you like the president or not? What's it going to do when you bring up, you know, like uh, uh, cultural issues? In practice, we never really see that on phone calls. I mean, people, you know, they, okay. they just want to get in and they just want to get out and kind of go on with their way. And um, it's a little bit of like um, when Amazon was in the early days and people were like, well, don't don't you want to smell the books? And it's like, yeah, you. You, you might want to have that book reading experience some of the time, but most of the time with customer service, it's, it's very transactional. Um, in, in terms of, so you guys have been around for quite a while. When did Replicant start and when did you start offering the product, um, your customer service AI product? Yeah, we uh, began in 2017 and uh, it really was a lot of research. It was, it was kind of foundational blue sky research into listening, thinking and speaking. What should the conversation design look like? What are the tools that you want to use to, to build this? I think an, an early observation I had was that in order to craft these uh, interactive voice response systems, IVR systems, that's where you're pressing one for this and pressing two for that. And sometimes they talk and sometimes they don't. They've been around for a long time. But to make that, it was all XML. And so you had to be a programmer in order to make this stuff. And so is it any wonder that you ended up with press one for this and press two for that and press three for this. It sounds like a mathematician like made this mm -hmm. kind of technology. So if you can make something that's graphical, um, I used to work on uh, graphical programming languages for you know teaching children or teaching uh, maybe your parents how to code. And so awesome. pulled a lot from those uh, uh, you know graphical programming tools. App Inventor is, is one that has been you know released from MIT. That was an early project that I worked on, but we brought in a lot of that graphical programming tooling into how you would make the thinking machine. And it was a really fun time to uh, not only see technologists play with it, but like what will happen when you give this to people who work in contact centers? What will this look like when you give it to their supervisors? What about when you give it to you know the CFO in a company? It, it becomes understandable. It becomes something that you feel like you can actually impact and change rather than the kind of uh, 
you know, inscrutable XML um, that is, is not only hard to understand, but it, it's hard to program. I mean, like imagine making like if statements and while loops and all of this in a, you know, in an XML document, it's just hard to do. And so yeah, a lot crazy. of those early days of research was like, can we make this fast enough? Can we make it smart enough? Can we make it sound good enough? Can we create the tooling that will be really intuitive for, for people to use? Um, and then, you know, it's really only been, uh, like three years that we've been, you know, selling the product. Some of our earliest customers were, as I mentioned, like DoorDash, uh, Postmates doing the the food ordering, uh, expanded into uh, Because Market. That's what they, they sell uh, products to older folks. And so maybe you're calling in about incontinence products. Maybe you're calling in about, you know, CBD, topical ointments, things like this. But that was another challenge for us because we're working with an older population. And so, you know, will the technology that we built for, restaurateurs also work for, you know, folks who are a little bit older that need us to speak a little bit slower that might need us to repeat ourselves. And uh, it, it, it really worked with, with flying colors. I think the, the ability of the machine to be very persistent, you know, it'll repeat something as many times as you want. It's happy to like stay on the line there with you. You know, if we're asking for a policy number and you've got to, you know, dig it up out of a, you know, physical piece of paper that's like upstairs in your filing cabinet, like we'll just stay there on the line with you where I don't know if an agent is necessarily going to, you know, want, want to expend that amount of time. Because again, in that older model, they're gold, they're, they're, you know, sort of paid on how many calls they can get through. And, uh, and that's sort of an important metric for them. Yeah. And plus the person that's actually needs the help, he, he's talking to a human. So he feels bad by taking forever to do something, you know, to find a ID or whatever it might, might be. So there's that pressure there too, even though you don't even know who this person is. So it's cool. Yeah. And if you're, if you're talking about incontinence products, I mean, I, I would personally feel more comfortable talking to a machine about that rather than a person. You know, I think I'd, it's a little bit easier for me to be honest. It's a little bit easier for me to like actually say what's going on. And so that's a, you know, an element that might play into it as well. People say, I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm speaking to a machine about this. Yeah, I can see why, you know, it's I, I don't think people are going to realize that until they actually start using it, because the first thing you think about is I'm talking to machine. I already talked to recorded voices and people in India. I don't want that. I want a real human. But there's going to come a time where they're going to realize it's actually better to talk to the AI, you know, and I think that's coming soon, which is very cool. Yeah. You know, I think three years ago, four years ago, when we would show this to people, they would say, no way this is real. You know, we, <laughs> we think you're, we think your videos are fake. We think your demo is fake. Like there must be, you know, a person hiding inside the machine somewhere kind of coming up with these answers. But since OpenAI put ChatGPT into the hands of, you know, a hundred million people very quickly, I think it, it became obvious that, uh, this is a technology that is here, is only going to get better, and you probably need to put some serious guardrails on this because I think everyone's probably dealt with a hallucination or you know something that feels inaccurate. And that's great if you're writing a novel or you want this to be kind of a writing partner for you or you're playing a game and you want kind of a lot of uh, creativity. But in the customer service space, I think you want you want factionality, you want factuality, and you want to be grounded in truth. You brought so up what, like when OpenAI came out, which it. Like the AI hit the scene in about two, late 2022 is when it got really popular, at least with the general public. How yes. did that change the world for you guys? Because you've been in the game since 2017. You said you released your product three years ago. How did that technology change the technology that you're using to, to do all this at Replicant? I'm glad that it 
showed people that this is a, a technology that's kind of here and is ready to be used. I think it like changed people's mind, which is to your point earlier, it's convincing people that maybe they should hang in there and talk with the machine because this is this kind of new uh, batch of technology that's not like what we had in the you know mid 2010s. It's not like what we had in the you know early 2000s. It's definitely not what we had in the kind of voice synthesis of, of the 90s. And so it's changing people's minds, which is great. And there's kind of a, a rising tide that's lifting all boats. But um, being able to uh, understand how and when and really if you should put these LLM tools into particular turns. It could be uh, data collection, like I mentioned before. It could be summarization for the handoff of the call. Imagine I have a whole conversation with uh, the machine and then, well, I've got to escalate that over to you know Ryan, the agent. Uh, let's generate a quick summary. Let's even come up with the first line that the agent can say, so that it gives you a little bit of you know cover while you say, okay, it's it's Benjamin and he's authenticated and he's on the side of the road and you know here's some pictures of his car. So that's another place where we can kind of use LLMs uh, to to level us up. Um, it's also changing. Uh, the quality of the voice and you know the the kind of realness that we can put into the thinking machine even if we are telling people that uh, that they are talking to a robot all right awesome and, and what can you get into i mean feel free to uh, tell us as much as you want or as little as you want but what like what's the actual technology you're using right now like how do you generate the voice what llms are you using things like that and if you can't let us know we understand but uh that's my question. <laughs> yeah, I think our uh, our thesis from the beginning is that technology is going to progress quite quickly. And so mm -hmm. it may be technology that we use in-house. It may be technology that's coming from a third party. It may be technology that becomes kind of, you know, ubiquitous, like transcription. I think Google will give you transcription and Azure will give you transcription. And we did understand uh, and do understand the right turns to use the right providers. Uh, Google, because of Google Maps, very, very good at collecting addresses. And so they're, you know, quite good in that realm. When it comes to alphanumeric collection, that's, uh, hey, my policy number is X is an X-ray, Z is in zebra, 7552. Google's not good at this. Azure's not good at this. Whisper's not good at this. It's just, it's a, it's a difficult problem to solve. And so for that piece, we built our transcription in-house so that we could, you know, uh, understand the words that are being spoken, but then think about it to know, you know, X as an X-ray is not double X, but that's just one, you know, X there. And so um, it could be alphanumeric data collection. It could be email address collection. That's something else that we're quite good at. And it, I mean, that's hard to do. If you, if I asked you for your email address, I might need you to repeat it a couple times. It's kind of a hard thing to get across. Um, there were some other early models we made. Um, we worked with Hawaiian Telecom, so a, a telecom company out of Hawaii, and um, we're getting people who are calling in with names that don't sound like mine. And so the standard transcription providers, again, they're kind of they're a little bit biased toward the data that was used to train that model. And so being able to do phoneme-based matching of names, even for my name, um, I'll call anytime I'm talking to a, a you know an, an AI system and they say, what's your name? I say, it's Gleitzman. And usually what I'm getting is, it doesn't appear that you're talking to me. And like, what a rude thing to say to a person. It's like, I've just told you my name and you're gonna tell me that, you know, I'm not, you know, you, you haven't understood what I've said. And so we build a lot of models in-house to make sure that we can nail that and like get that yeah. uh, you know, done, done properly. Um, so 
The keys, I think, are in each turn of the conversation, knowing which providers to use. Could be third-party providers, could be in-house providers for transcription, for intent and entity recognition, entity linking, um, whether or not we're going to call out to like an LLM model, and then choosing what voice we're going to use to, to synthesize it. Um, another key point here about LLMs is that they're not HIPAA compliant. They're not PCI compliant. And I expect that we'll be able to get there, but there's a lot of turns that might have, you know, personally identifying information, credit card numbers, things like this. Um, no way we're going to pass that to an, you know, an, an, an gotcha. LLM, even if we have data redaction, you know, policies in place so that they don't use it for training. It's just, uh, it's not something that we can actually pass, uh, you know, legally to these systems. So we still use a lot of our in-house models for, for those things. And you can also imagine that we might use multiple providers. What if we use multiple transcription providers at once? We'll use our in-house and we'll use, you know, Azure. And then over time, we'll learn sort of which turns are more, uh, kind of high value for us, uh, which ones, you know, do we mostly get the right thing on, on the right turn? So it's a, it, it's quite a complex system, but I think the key is being like malleable and um, able to swap in new technologies as they come. Because if you're keeping up with the papers every week and every day, is just like massive uh, gains in, in this industry. And, uh, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit, I, I was young, but like the the newness of the internet, the kind of like, uh, you know, the how quick features were coming out and how rapid the evolution was. It's a it's an exciting time, but it's a time when uh, having a really strong ethics grounding and having a really strong like security. How are we going to make sure that we keep these things on track? How are we going to make sure that we can uh, responsibly you know, manage data is really key. So what is the next step in your development and where do you see your project going in like maybe five years, 10 years? You know, when you think about contact center automation, the contact center is quite big. And this was actually a, an, an issue for us in the early days. We'd say we build conversational AI and conversational AI is so broad. It could be uh, analyzing what agents do and giving them recommendations, not in real time. It could be, you know, churning through emails and being you know, able to respond to those. It could be things like we do, which is kind of you know, voice or SMS or uh, you know, chat on, on websites. And so uh, contact center automation has a lot of uh, additional pieces to it. It's got that agent handoff and, and making sure that that's really solid so that you don't have to repeat yourself and kind of re-authenticate. It's got um, knowledge base and uh, kind of agent assists uh, for agents as well. Maybe you're new on the job. And so you, you know, want to get some FAQs or you want to uh, get some recommendations from the machine of um, uh, what might the customer be calling about or what are some ways that you can kind of answer their question. Uh, I think it comes into like workforce management and how are you routing particular calls to the right individual. And so, um, you know, there are many players that are in this market, uh, you know, the five nines of the world, the genesis of the world. Um, They've built these technologies, but they haven't built them in a way that's kind of modern facing and not that is, you know, powered by AI from the start. And so the big shift I see in the industry is Genesis is charging per seat. So they're saying, how many agents do you have in your contact center? Your cost will be number of agents times, you know, some amount of money that they're charging per month. The future of the contact center, it's not 90% agents and 10% AI. I think it's 90% AI and 10% agents who are there to like give that empathy or to give that creativity. And so it really flips that whole business model on its head. And so you've got a little bit of an innovator's dilemma when it comes to these legacy providers who need to move away from the, you know, like towards AI, which is moving quite rapidly, but they're stuck a little bit in that per seat model. 
And so that's something that I get excited about thinking about the future of like, how do you, how do you transform the entire experience before the call is made, during the call, after the call, the kind of data and analytics that you can like gather from that. It's a, it, it really is an underserved market. I, I feel bad for folks that have been in this industry since the 80s and 90s because they've been sold technology that was supposed to make their life better for a really long time. Hey, I've got an, I've got an IVR touch tone system. You can't wait to see how you know this is going to change your life. And then, hey, we've got an IVR touchstone system, but now you can say billing to it. Like, you can't believe how this is going to change your life. And it just hasn't had the, it doesn't have the benefits. It hasn't had the improvements that were promised. But now I think we're finally to a point where you can get end-to-end -end resolution using an automated system that's going to be faster than talking with a person, better informed perhaps than, than that person too, and the caller experience is going to be really quality. So people are going to ask for these machines. It's fun talking to people um, in the AI space because when we talk to them, all these ideas pop in my head at least of like what what can actually happen with these tools that are coming out. Um, and one of the things that's uh, maybe that will happen with these phone calls is uh, one of the stories that we did was on how AI can listen to someone's voice and tell if they're under duress or they have anxiety, depression, something like that. So I'm thinking maybe when the AI is talking to the customer, and the customer's like, oh yeah, I'm good. This is all good. You know, thank you for taking care of me. The AI, the AI can subtly understand if they're really saying that just to say it, or they still haven't had their issue resolved. And then you guys can follow up with them with a phone call or an email or something like that. Like uh, just the, there's so many opportunities out there that seems like that's something that could eventually happen. Yeah, it's, it, it's a promising future, but I also, I sometimes caution against using, like, is there really a problem there? And one okay. example I'll give is ro roadside service. So we, we get a lot of people calling in on the roadside. They're anxious. They're nervous. We know that they're on the side of the road and they're, you know, in danger. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily have to kind of like read the tone of their voice. They're, they'll probably tell you, you know, kind of the information that they need. It's a little bit like the truckers and, and profanity. Yeah. It's like, just because it's there doesn't mean you have to act on it. And okay. um, I think that's another kind of key it, it, it's a key thing to consider when you deploy AI. Um, I think about uh, Twitter for, I don't know how long it was, months or years, would crop photos to find faces. And so you'd upload a photo and it would crop it in the preview to find a face. Well, it cropped white faces more than black faces. It cropped people who were standing rather than people who were sitting in wheelchairs. And so the decision was made by that team to not use the AI anymore for photo cropping. And you have to kind of ask, well, was that even a problem in the first place? And you've got these yeah. ancillary folks who were excited about it as well. Uh, photographers who spend like painstaking effort to like crop the photo in the way they want were like, thank you so much for not re-cropping my photos. I don't even like want this. And so uh, it could be things like analyzing stress and voice, which could be useful in certain situations. It could be voice as a password, which I think is very dangerous. Uh, we're in the uh, industry of synthesizing voice. I know how easy it is to synthesize voice based on a snippet. I don't know if it's necessarily safe to use voice as a password. It might be a username. You could say, hey, when, when you hear my voice, that's probably Benjamin's username, but you don't necessarily have authorization to do things on my behalf just because if you can synthesize my voice. So choosing what and what not to do with these technologies is important. It's going to be, a, it's all a big trial, right? Like people are going to screw up, yes. they're going to try something, they're going to mess it up. There's going to be bad publicity about it, but that's just part of the game with technology. Like you got to go through those growing pains. Yeah. And it's, it's a real, um, I think it's a challenge and it's, uh, it's heartening to me to think about 
it is the people who work in these industries that will be uh, the choosers of whether to use this technology or not. I don't think the regulation is necessarily going to come from the government or it may not look uh, the way that we want. I don't know if it's going to come from, you know, the CEOs of companies. I think it's going to be uh, the kind of rank and file employees that look at the ways that we're rolling out AI and either say, yes, this is something I feel comfortable doing or no, I don't. And trying to work within their companies to either um, not deploy technologies when it, you know, is, is an example like the cropping of photos or um, choosing, you know, how, how and when it's used to make it more ethical. Benjamin, who's using Replicant right now? Do, do you have like a count on how many companies are using it or like what yeah, types of companies are more attracted to your to your technology? Yeah, it's uh, mostly in the enterprise. Uh, we have like tens of, of customers. Uh, and so that's really exciting. Uh, kind of more joining uh, every every year. I would say industries like insurance are really big for us. Uh, food ordering, uh, starting to get into more uh, retail customers. Um, we've avoided places like financial services just because there's a lot of regulation that comes with, you know, dealing with banks. Uh, also, the sales cycle on banks is, is quite long. I could see us moving, you know, there now that we've uh, got our GDPR certification. That was quite a, a large lift for us. And so excited about moving into, you know, more areas where this can be used. But what's surprising to me is across industries, people say um, we work with, um, let's say, pest control companies. So, you know. Uh, this is actually a really great usage for LLMs. Like, I got uh, scorpions in the den again and kind of understanding, you know, what you got and where you got and all these kind of problems. But um, they say, well, you know, how many pest control companies have you worked with before? And at the end of the day, people are people. You know, they, they talk mostly in the same way. The same kind of problems we had to solve with food ordering kind of come back when it's pest control or insurance use cases. And so now having done, you know, a couple hundred million calls, we've we've really got the data sets. We've got kind of the, the understanding of not only how, um, you know, most people talk, but also how do we uh, deal with folks who might have a particular accent, who deal with, you know, English as a, as a second language. And so the time it takes to bring on a new industry is not really so high because all of the all of the conversational smarts are kind of built into the system so you really just focus on like where where is my industry different and what are those kind of like jargon keywords and is there anything you know um you know scheduling a pest control appointment looks like scheduling a dentist appointment looks like scheduling an mri uh just swapping out those kind of back-end apis um and then in terms of have you like seen any kind of general percentage, like from the companies you've worked with that use your product, do they say, hey, this has saved us 50% of our cost to pay a human uh, to do the same job? Is there any kind of benchmark there that you've seen from, from your customers? Yeah, I think the metrics that move are, um, one use case might be a, you know, a customer who does, um, you know, imagine you move to a new location, uh, but you got to send back your Comcast modem or something like that. And so they're okay. in the business of like reclaiming these modems that people can't even use anymore. You just got to you got to send it in. And so it's usually a, an outbound call or an SMS or something like this that's going to the person um, in order to get them to send you know th these back in. When they brought in Replicant, it was like a drastic savings, you know, millions of dollars of savings of cost. Uh, something that they really couldn't even reach the number of people that they needed to because um, there just weren't enough agents to call all the people that, you know, had to return these these uh, modems. It was a big win for 
the customer, you know, the, the callers into the customer as well, because they don't want to be charged $85 or $110 for this modem. They're, they're not going to use it. So, you know, it was like a reminder. It's saving the money to come back in. And uh, the, re the return rates went up. I think it was like an 11% increase in, in returns. And so it's very rare. I've certainly never worked at a company before where it's higher customer satisfaction, it's higher kind of bottom line KPIs and metrics like returns, you save a couple million dollars and the agents in the contact center get happy. It's like, it's, it's, really, um, it, it's really exciting to see and kind of heartening to see that um, there's not, I think in business, uh, at least for me, I, you know, you're, you're looking for the trade-off. We saved money, but people were angrier. You know, we mm -hmm. made the agent experience better, but we had to spend a lot more money on it. It's like rare to see when you can move all of these metrics in the correct direction, but you don't really have to have a downside. It's almost like your biggest problem is the sales end, right? Like I think this can solve a huge problem for a lot of people, but people are scared to use it. And once the, their eyes are open up a little bit, I think a lot of people are gonna be reaching out to you guys to, um, you know, implement something like this on their end. Yeah, I think the message is that the time is now. You know, there, mm -hmm. there's going to be this, uh, I would call it like a K-shaped uh, recovery where the people who choose to use AI now are just going to continue to get better and better and better at that technology. And the people who delay are going to kind of fall further and further behind. And so it's not just bringing in this technology, it's getting your own data in order. You know, we can tap into any knowledge base, we can tap into any FAQ, but if your FAQs disagree with one another or, you know, they're not kept up to date, then that's going to be a problem for the machine in the same way that it's probably, a, you know, a problem for your agents, but maybe, sure. you know, a seasoned agent is going to be like, oh yeah, well, I read that document, but it's not right that you got to do this other thing over here. And so um, there's kind of in addition to bringing in this technology, there's a little bit of improvement you need to make within the organization of getting knowledge bases up and running, making sure that you've got API access. You know, we want to do everything that an agent can do, but if you don't have an API for it, then it becomes difficult for us to, to do. So sometimes we work with RPA or, you know, like other technologies that can get us access to those APIs. Um, but yeah, I think it, if the question was, you know, should I wait for next year's GPT model or should I go and, you know, start to do this today? I think now now is the time to really move. Definitely. And if you're unsure, just take a look at their replicate.com and look at their website in the video. I mean, it is it's pretty stunning what, what, what can be done right this second. Like for something like customer service and these calls, it's it's awesome. Like you got to check it out. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I would also say that um, a, a lot of customers I talk to say, well, let's run a POC, you know, let's let's run like a trial of this. Uh -huh. And the problem with running POCs is that it's kind of the same lift to do a POC as it is to do like an actual deployment. It's not like we can cut corners because, you you know, you got to make sure that the conversation design is there. You got to make sure that the APIs in, are in place. And when you're running a POC, I think you're often looking for like, well, this didn't quite work and that didn't quite work. And so you're kind of you're, you're coming up with reasons to not quite take the plunge. And so regardless of the vendor that you go with, I think choosing to kind of do something fully and you don't have to redo your whole, you know, contact center. You can say, hey, we're going to take digit press number four off our IVR and like just do billing. We're going to take digit press number two and just do returns, um, you know, take the plunge jump in, start to understand what this technology is good for, and you're going to be part of the, uh, you know, the, the people who are getting richer using this technology rather than those that kind of uh, delayed and fall behind. What would you like to promote, Benjamin? I know replicant.com is the main thing, but anything else that you want to uh, put out there, we'll put them put all the links in the comments below. Yeah, I think uh, uh, replicant.com is a great place to go to. You go to try.replicant.com uh, to get, you know, give the thinking machine a spin. Um, we can put my email out there if people want to get in touch. 
I'm happy to talk about uh, the technology, how it's used. I also really care about the ethics that are behind it. And so that's kind of a, a, a big piece for me. And um, there's a lot of, uh, we just had our Resolve conference. And so we're doing a Resolve Rewind, which will be some videos from that. Uh, we have a lot of great speakers. Uh, it's not just, it's not just salespeople talking from Replicant. It's like actual people who have used the technology talking about, you know, how and why and sort of where they used it. And, um, you know, hopefully we can kind of lift this industry up together. Uh, something that surprised me is that, uh, you know, in the contact center, you can still be, you know, working a phone and then you become a manager and then you become the head of the, it's like you can still kind of move up through that organization and so the people really matter the people that kind of stick with the organization are, are really important so being able to hear from those experts and being able to hear from people who've already taken the plunge is is great cool and then uh be sure to subscribe to ryan and i's newsletter fry-ai.com we have three top stories a day as long along with some cool tools and community engagement things as well um, just thank you so much, Benjamin, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Great questions yeah. and really enlightening.